let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times bestselling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Santi Ho, a passionate advisor and teacher of communications. She's the founder of Brooklyn-based agency Media Valerie and co-lead of consulting for Convince and Convert founded by industry leader Jay Bear. She brings more than a decade of experience in the marketing industry to her work, and her work has garnered multiple awards, including several PR News Platinum Awards and a Forrester Groundswell Award. In 2018, she was named one of top ranks 50 most influential content marketers, and she's been a judge for the Content Marketing Awards for three years running in addition, Zanti has a tremendous amount of, of very impressive accolades that I could not possibly cover in this brief introduction. So instead of me rambling on, it is an absolute pleasure and a complete honor to introduce Zanti. How are you doing today? I am doing really well. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. Absolutely. It is totally my pleasure and I'm so glad that you could come on the show. Let's jump right in. Question for you. What is your story? Well, I always tell people that I have always been the person in the room who wants to tell everyone else how to do everything. So luckily for me, I found myself in the marketing industry really early on. I went to business school undergrad at NYU Stern, and I studied marketing and international business. Those were my two majors. And it really gave me the opportunity to communicate with people. I've always been a really verbal kid. I love to read. I love to write. I love to talk to people. And so marketing was a really good fit there. And from there, I was on the brand side for a little less than seven years. Then I went back to grad school at Columbia University, got my graduate degree in um, strategic communications, which is really about the nexus of communications strategy and uh, business strategy. So really bringing those two disciplines together. And then I moved into the agency side and consulting work. And uh, like I said, uh, that allows me to take all of my verbal abilities and my interest in telling people what to do and apply that to their marketing discipline. So what I tell people now is that I really help people think through their marketing from a really strategic business standpoint. And everybody that we know, every business, every nonprofit, every organization needs to market themselves to some audience. And so the work that I do is really focused on helping them bring that up to that next level and be more strategic about it. 
That's amazing. And I love that you came out the gate saying, I love telling people what to do. I'll <laughs> figure out how to do it. I think that's great. Uh, yeah. Question I have there. Why do you love telling people what to do? I think that I have always been blessed with an inordinate amount of confidence, which is as a business owner and an entrepreneur, probably a good thing because it lets me uh, get away with a lot of things that maybe I don't have the right to. Um, but I like to say that I'm relatively self-aware about what I don't know. Um, I think that I like to tell people what to do because one of my talents is really synthesizing information, listening to people, uh, finding all of the different elements that they're trying to express and bringing them together. Oftentimes when I'm telling you what to do, it's not that I'm really giving you my opinion, but I'm really repeating back to you what I've heard from you and what you've actually expressed. But I'm finding a way for you to take that and make it actionable. In some ways, I think that the work that I do, I call it marketing therapy, right? It's a little bit the way you would want a good therapist to really understand what it is that you're actually trying to express and then and then find your way through it, right? I think I really like to work with people and um, the, the telling you what to do, so to speak, is sort of an excuse to have those conversations about what's really underlying the uh, issues at hand. And so I just really love the work. I love working with people. And like I said, I like problem solving. So it seems like at the core of what you're doing is you're listening and you're seeing through what people are saying and extracting the real story, the real problem, the real solution, and then helping to articulate that back to that individual in an actionable way. Yeah, absolutely. It's very similar to what I do in a classroom. So I've taught for five years at the City College of New York, which is the flagship of the City University of New York. Um, and I've taught as a faculty lecturer at Columbia as well. And what we do in the classroom is really to help people find those connections between all the different disparate pieces of information that they bring to the table, right? So if we can synthesize all of those ideas, oftentimes the solution is right in front of you. You just didn't really realize how those puzzle pieces fit together. And I think that that's what's interesting about the work. Um, maybe it's the same reason I like puzzles, right? There's something about, you know, figuring out why all these pieces work together and how they fit and why there is a cohesive story in the midst of everything. Um, when I was a kid, people used to say that I seemed very quiet and I I've never thought of myself as a quiet person because I feel like I have so much going on inside my own mind. But now I realize as an adult, I think that I was really honing those skills of listening and figuring out what was the story behind all of the different pieces. So, you know, I would be in a room listening to all of the different people talking and then figuring out, okay, what's the one thing that I want to say that really brings it all together? I like what you said earlier about confidence, especially being an entrepreneur, a business owner, because I, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, as, as I'm sure you do as well. Sure. Um, and it seems like one of the underlying foundations of their success is an unstoppable belief in who they are, what they do, and, and their mission, their goal. So it's so important but a lot of people struggle with it. How did you develop that confidence? And maybe it's, maybe it's been there, but 
like how, why, like where did it Mm -hmm. come from? Let's drill down into that. Sure. I often tell people that I am lucky in the sense that my mom has told me my whole life, you are a smart, capable person. And therefore, because she always treated me as someone who was capable I always believed that about myself, that maybe I didn't have all the answers, maybe I didn't have all of the information, maybe I had a lot to learn, maybe I was green. And certainly now that I'm in my 30s, it's very easy for me to, to look back and realize that, you know, maybe in my 20s, I was young and dumb, but just more confident than I deserve to be. But part of that is realizing also that the confidence may have been innate, but it doesn't come from nothing, right? I tell people all the time, I pride myself on work that is no BS. I will tell you what I know, I will tell you what I don't know, and I will tell you how I can get the answers that we need to move forward. But especially in our work as a marketing consultant, uh, consultancy and agency, we're always giving people advice on their business that affects their bottom line, that really impacts their business. I'm not going to BS a person about what I can offer them, right? Like the, the decisions that we make is always based on the information at hand, doing deep research. I tell my students all the time, you have to make recommendations based on information that you gather. But I think, again, being a really curious person, I think like you, I love to ask questions. I love to read. I love to find out what is out there. And it's the information and the knowledge and the questions that actually give me the confidence to speak with authority to my audience because I know that it's based on something real. I tell people, you know, that there's a really big difference between being confident and being cocky, right? Someone who's cocky is not necessarily knowledgeable about the space, but they're coming from sort of an empty place. Being confident should come from your true source of knowledge and your source of power and your source of real information. And if you're doing it from that place, then I think that you have every right to be confident. When I walk into the room, Again, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And so coming from that place, I think it's easy to feel confident about the work that I present every day. So you're an epic top-notch content marketer, clearly. clearly. <laughs> and, and it seems like when you're at that level and you've asked the questions, you've done the digging, you understand, you've, you've learned the stuff, the knowledge, the info, and super not diminishing that at all. That's incredibly important. From that point, you have a foundation with which to speak confidently. But even when you're starting out, you still need to be creating content, or at least that's that's my belief. Um, so when you're starting out and you're a beginner and you're either you're not the expert or people don't know that you are the expert yet, how do you still come from this place of confidence? How do you how do you how do you still own it? Yeah, well, I think that you are a great example of somebody who's um, taking their position and recognizing where they can offer a specific point of view, which is that we can be confident about, again, what we what we do know in the world, which is, if I don't know everything, I can still create content about the questions that I have. I can create content about the journey that I'm undergoing to learn about this particular space. I can create content about the connections that I'm making, much like you're doing here. I, there's so many opportunities to create content that speaks authoritatively about our experience in the world. I think that the reason that in the last several years we've had all these conversations about all these brands and authenticity is that because we're being exposed to so much messaging from so many different uh, fields all, uh, throughout our lives, we as a society are 
really sensitive to the people who are coming from a disingenuous place. If you're going to speak from authority, I think that it's because you're recognizing um, that position that you have. So again, even if you are starting out, you can create content. There's no reason that you can't, but it should speak truthfully about where you are in your journey. And therefore, it's going to be good content. If I walked into the room and I said, I know everything about sports cars, and I start spouting off a bunch of facts, but I know nothing about sports cars, people are going to call me on that, like ASAP, right? Anybody who knows anything is going to be like, that lady doesn't know a thing, and she's talking like she's crazy. Well, that's no good. I mean, that's not fun for the audience. It's not fun for me. It's not good for my reputation. But if I walk in and I say, hey, I'm interested in sports cars. I don't know that much yet, but I know that I want to learn and I want to ask questions of people and I want to discover what's out there and I want to discover why other people are passionate about it. That's going to resonate with people because even the experts in that space are going to say, hey, I remember feeling that way. I remember having those questions. I get that enthusiasm. And that's somebody that I can get behind because I relate to their experience of that particular topic. And I think that's why you see that there's content creators at all different levels. And I think the important thing is not to get too big for your britches, you know, to focus on the things that you can do credibly and feel good about and, and to be vulnerable and honest with your audience, because I think that's why they relate. That is such an interesting perspective. I've never heard that before of actually creating content about the questions that you have. About yeah. the questions that you have. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, I've been working with a museum recently and we've been talking about, you know, what they're, uh, they're just relaunching the reopening after a renovation. And we've been talking a little bit about the video content that they might want to create, right? And one thing that I said to them is, I would love to see a series of content that's uh, featuring docents or students or their student ambassadors asking questions of the artists, the experts, the people who they're bringing in, so that when the audience is watching that video, they're not like, oh, it's just a bunch of experts talking over my head about stuff that I don't understand. It's somebody who is like me, who's loving art, who's interested, who's curious, and they're asking questions of the experts. Why? Because I think that interview process, that that curiosity, again, it resonates with all of us. Like we all have questions about topics that we are passionate about, right? So why not put that person front and center and say, hey, this is someone who's essentially an avatar for the audience, right? Like someone that you can relate to and say, oh, good. I'm not asking dumb questions. I tell my students all the time, like there are no dumb questions. You might have silly questions, right? Things that are a little bit like oddball, out of left heel. There are no dumb questions, right? Because if you have a question about it, it is because you are curious and curiosity is so desirable. Like that's a really good thing. Like don't be afraid to ask questions. And we wanna make our audience, no matter what kind of content we're creating, right? Whether that's branded, whether that's personal, whether that's for a nonprofit or an organization, organization, anything that you're creating should matter to the audience and it should feel relatable to them. Well, it's very clear to see why you are the expert. <laughs> like, seriously, this is, this is amazing. This is such an interesting perspective on content creation and, and positioning that I feel like almost nobody's talking about right now because I talk to people all the time. And I'm like, hey, I would highly suggest you create content. Like, that's just one of the things I tell people. And they're like, oh, I don't know what I'd talk about. I haven't really done anything. I don't feel like I'm an expert. I don't feel like I'm coming from a, a genuine place. Great. 
Do you know how many people feel like that? <laughs> Completely. That's amazing. Completely. I mean, you know, you you point out um, a true challenge that I hear from people all the time, that idea that I don't know what to create the content about. And I would highly recommend the book Known by my friend Mark Schaefer, who really talks about how you don't have to be an expert for every audience. You just have to be a, a credible voice for the people who care about what you're creating content about. It's not for everybody. He gives an example in his book of like, here's a doctor who's really only blogging for like 200 people who are in this really specific niche in his field who care about his data. That's fine. If that's the audience that you want to serve and you are providing real value to them and you're relating to them and you're making those connections, that's awesome. That's okay. You don't have to serve everybody. We don't all have to be like a Kardashian with like 20 million followers. That's okay. Like it's probably better that we aren't, right? I think most of us are going to find that there's going to be a, a more narrow group of people who relate to the stuff that we want to talk about every day. And that's awesome. So, and I know I've said this a couple of times, but you're clearly like a dominant force in, in the digital marketing space, an expert on, on content creation. What are the things that people really, really, really need to learn from you uh, that you don't think enough people know that they need to learn from you? Well, that's a big question. I would say that one of my big passions, what I teach in the classroom and then I translate onto a stage for other marketers, for business people, et cetera, is the importance of understanding your audience motivations, their emotional needs, and their core drivers, and using that as a way to inform your marketing strategy. A lot of times people go at it the other direction, right? We think about what does the business need and you know what are our bottom line goals and things like that. And listen, I'm not saying you don't need to have those in mind when you're designing your marketing tactics. That's absolutely essential, right? But you do need to understand what it is that your audience actually wants out of this transaction so that you can communicate in a way that relates to them. You have to think about it this way. All people are self-centered as individuals, right? Like we want to fulfill our needs. If I'm going to go shop for, you know, a widget, what I want to know is does the widget serve my need? I don't care that the widget company you know, has these accolades or comes in 23 different colors if I don't care about that or that they're, um, you know, authoritative in creating widget content. That's not what I care about, right? What I care about is I have a problem that I believe that the widget will solve. I want to know if they're going to help me and I want to know that I'm going to feel good about using their product. If I'm coming from that point of view, then the widget company needs to address those motivations, right? So, I think that it may sound relatively intuitive, right? But the vast majority of companies that I talk to just on a regular basis, they have not stopped and gone through the exercise of figuring out what is it that my customer is actually motivated by? What do they care about? And why are they making the decisions that they're making? If you haven't figured those things out, then you, again, can't create good content, can't create good marketing, don't have a good marketing strategy. I mean, in the B2B space, one thing that I hear a lot about is the importance of referrals, right? Why are referrals really valuable in the B2B space? Well, oftentimes they're really high-end purchases or purchase decisions, right? You're going to invest a lot of money. You want to know that that brand on the other side is going to be a really good partner. You want to know that they're somebody that you can trust. Well, who can you get 
information about trustworthiness from? Probably people that you know. Why? Because that trust is translatable. Like if I trust you and you make a recommendation to me, then I feel like that recommendation is probably going to be good. Why? Because I assume you're not going to give me junky advice, right? Because we have that relationship already. So therefore, like that, that trust factor is a huge part of how people make decisions in the B2B space. So creating content about trustworthiness and to communicate that trustworthiness then becomes really important. So it's all about breaking down that analysis and figuring out what is that audience. So that's one area that I would say uh, is really important to me and I think is very key to the overall approach to um, marketing that I take. The other area that I've been talking to people about a lot in the last um, couple of years is um, the fact that our consumers are more, not just digitally savvy, but essentially augmented than ever. I, I call them the bionic consumers. It's this idea that every single one of us, again, no matter what industry, no matter who your audience is, all of our consumers, our customers, have basically a device in, in their pocket at all times, right? You have something that you can look up absolutely anything at any time. That has changed the dynamic of how people buy. I mean, how many times have you been in a store and looked up information about something that you're looking at in the store? Have you done that? Like a lot, <laughs> right? All the time. All, all the time. And then I give the example all the time that um, most of us look up the menu of a restaurant before we go out our front door now, like I will not even consider going to a restaurant until I've looked up their menu or their hours or something. Um, sometimes, because I live in New York City and you know we have all these street fronts, right? I will look for a picture of the front door of the restaurant just so know, I know what I'm looking for when I get there. So if our consumers are behaving in these ways, it changes the way in which we have to tell our brand stories. And again, I think that this is something that companies don't often think about, and especially in some more traditional industries. I work with clients in healthcare, in financial services, in insurance, regulated industries. Um, I've even worked with machinery companies. In all those cases, they think like, well, my consumer is still a pretty traditional buyer. They're still making decisions on traditional things. And that is only partially true now, right? Because again, they, they are talking to someone who's just as augmented as anyone else in the world. And that makes a huge difference in terms of how we buy. So those are two major things that I talk to people about all the time and I think are really important topics that I don't think we talk about enough. That was awesome. And I super want to drill down into both of those. Yeah. Starting with the first one. Sure. Um, I also want to put you on the spot a little bit Yeah. Um, yeah. because you're awesome and I really, you know, want to yeah uh, so, <laughs> so when it comes to project egg mm -hmm. how would you do that like let's do like a a live case study mm -hmm. project egg like let's drill down let's let's get granular so if it comes to me looking foolish like i'm willing to do it let's but let's all see. right that sounds good. Cool. So um, the first topic, obviously, being about, you know, how do we dig into your audience and understand their motivations? I guess I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about the people in the Project Ed community and what do they resonate with in the content? Like, what are they looking for? What kind of advice are they looking for out of the people who are on your show or what do they hope to learn? So I feel like there are two major buckets. Um, and 
maybe maybe I'm wrong here. So maybe you know I'm maybe I need to do much more homework on my end. But the two buckets are either aspiring entrepreneurs of people who they know they want to do something great with their lives. They know that they have potential and that they're destined for something bigger and better than what they're currently doing. Yeah. But they haven't been able to make the jump yet or they haven't decided to make the jump or they're scared. And maybe they wouldn't say that they're scared, but something's holding them back and they just, they just can't do it. The second bucket are people who have started and they've, they've got something going, but it hasn't like, it hasn't gone over the top to the point where they don't even have time to watch a show or listen to a podcast because they're just so busy succeeding. Like they're not there yet. So they're still looking for either actionable strategies or they're looking for inspiration to keep going. Uh, You know, maybe they're a little bit down, down on their, on their, uh, their luck or something. And, and, They're, they're looking for like that uh, that strategy, that that, uh-huh. that inspiration. So those would be the two buckets. And what I believe is the deliverable is both inspiration of hearing incredible stories of incredible people like yourself, uh-huh. as well as education of like, okay, this is what that person knows and this is where they are. How do I do that? How do sure. I take that nugget or those couple of bits of information and apply that to my situation and implement in that into my business so that I can move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think that those are both great starts. What I would recommend that you do is drill deeper into these motivations and identify opportunities to, to tell a story that's really actionable for that audience, right? So I'll give you an example. You mentioned that you think the inspiration piece is, is major for a lot of your audience because they're looking for, you know, what's that next thing? What are they going to do? What I would recommend is turn that a little bit on its head and think about it as uh, an empowerment play. You too can do this because other people like you have made that jump. So maybe even helping them to think through, do you relate to these three attributes of this speaker? Or did you know that you know people who like puzzles all like, also like XYZ? And really pointing out to them and breaking it down for them, hey, people like you have taken these actions too. And if they can do it, so can you. So it's really about that empowerment. So not just inspiration, but again, digging a little bit further into what it is that they actually need out of the inspiration. On that other piece, you know, the people who are too busy or they're, they um, are already going with their project, but they really need to get down to the, the essentials, that strategy piece, as you were saying, I would recommend, again, digging deeper into that and identifying what are the, the quintessential challenges that they face. So an example might be, okay, you mentioned that they are really busy. They've got a lot on their plate. They're, this, maybe it's their side hustle and they've got a full-time job, et cetera, right? So that's really about this motivation of um, feeling pressed for resources. So maybe then I would say to them, we've got the 60-minute uh, interview, but then I do a three-minute recap version that's a downloadable podcast that you can get every day of the week, and it's just three minutes of here's the absolute most important takeaway of every one of these episodes, right? So now you're addressing that time crunch element of it while still serving that bigger overall picture. And this is the kind of exercise that I recommend to people all the time when it comes to thinking through their content and tying it back to those underlying motivations. If we can dig deeper into it, we can actually figure out what's the content that really tells that story in the ways that are most helpful to that audience. You're good. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're good, you. I just want everybody to know this was not scripted at all. This they're never scripted at all. These interviews are totally unscripted, unedited. Like Santi, you seriously like that was awesome. So thank oh. you for uh, for not only being willing to do that, but for absolutely knocking that out of the park. That was absolutely. Awesome. This is fun. So I want to learn more about what drives you. Like, why do you get up every single day and work towards this? And part two of that question, what is this? What are you trying to create? What are you trying to build? These are both great questions, ones that I grapple with all the time. Um, I'm going to address the second question first, because I think that maybe that will help answer the question of what drives me. So. Media Valerie, as you said, is a marketing agency. We're digital first. We are metrics driven. We are really business goals focused. And that really came out of my own experience, not only being on the brand side, but again, having been an educator and having a lot of deep experience in the consulting space of dealing with a lot of smart marketers who are great people, don't get me wrong, but I think didn't necessarily create the bottom line results that I know, again, as a business owner that you need, right? Ultimately, my job is to solve the needs of my clients. And again, I love working with people. I love solving their problems. So um, the the business itself is all about addressing those end needs, right? So with that in mind, the agency that I'm creating is really serving our clients in the way that I would want to be served if I were the client. And I think that's really important. And the second part of the the thing that I'm creating is I want it to be a business and I've always wanted it to be the kind of business that I would want to work for. So I'm part of a um, women in digital uh, community called Together Digital. And they're really fantastic because it's um, a network of other digital, not just marketers, but just digital media professionals. And and I learn from them all the time. But I was recently in a peer circle with others from that group who are agency owners. And I realized that I'm unique in the sense that there are very few small agencies that have full-time employees who have benefits for their employees, who offer 401ks, who have offices and equipment and all of that stuff at my size. You know, we're a team of five right now, and there's not a lot of people who at this size offer all of those things, but that's the kind of business that I would want to work for. And if I'm going to attract the best talent and I'm going to have the best quality work for my clients, I have to offer the things that I believe I would want out of a job. And so people say to me all the time, you know, and I've struggled as an as an entrepreneur, you know, you sometimes deal with cash flow and you deal with just the challenges of growing your business too fast or too slow or whatever. I've had people say to me a bunch of times, well, why don't you just hire more freelancers and have less staff overall and you could you could be a little bit more flexible. And you know what? Maybe that's okay, but it's not the business that I would want to work for. And I don't think it's the best quality work for my clients because then they there's more turnover and stuff. And so it's also about building a business that, again, a business I would hire and a business I would work for. And that's really what I've tried to build towards. And in some ways that feels scary. I have a lot more overhead than a lot of people. I take home a smaller check at the end of the day, but Am I proud of the business? Yes. Is that a business that I would hire? Yes. Is it a business that I have people who work with me who I believe will be here a long time? Yes. And those are all good things. So um, to answer your first question, what gets me up 
in the morning is that I'm working towards something that I really believe in, that I have a community of people that I'm working for, not just my clients, but also my employees. And those are the things that keep me going. Ultimately, you know, work is such a huge part of our lives. And I think it is a big part of our identities too. And, you know, I want to be proud of the stuff that I do every day. So I think that um, I feel relatively successful in achieving that end goal. I want to talk about vulnerability for a second. Sure. Because we're all people and we, we all have, you know, the insecurities that, that nag at us and staying on the same course over an extremely long extended period of time. That's difficult. Uh-huh. That's difficult. It, it really is. And, and people who are able to do that, I have so much admiration and respect for right? Do you ever, or have you ever had those moments where you're like, is this really what I want to be doing? Like, do I just want to get up and just go and travel the world and, you know, just do something random, do something crazy, like (laughs) stuff from time to time? Uh, Definitely. I'm sure we all think about other options. Um, I'll tell you one of the cool things about my career path is that in some ways I've really let the wind take me where it's taken me. I think that a lot of my opportunities have sort of fallen in place and I've thought, oh, wow, I think that this is where I'm sort of fated to go. But I've also always been open to what that next step is, right? So, um, you know, the timing of my graduate program was such that I thought I would quit my full-time job and have a couple of months of just thinking and being um, sort of explore my options. And then my next consulting opportunity to join a consultancy fell into my lap. I made the connections that it allowed me to join a team right away. And I thought, oh, well, that took two days. I thought it would take me two months to figure out my next step. And it showed, not literally in two days, but probably within about five days. And, you know, it made me realize, okay, be open to the experiences and the opportunities that are going to come your way. And you never know where they're going to take you. And the truth is we're not stuck, right? I think that oftentimes, especially in in your younger years, you can think to yourself, oh, if I choose this path, this is the only path forward. And that's just not true. My friend and mentor, Jay Bear, he talks about how he started his career in politics. He thought that that's where his path was going to lie. And then some years after that, he realized he was going to join an agency. And then from an agency that focused in email and uh, website design, he moved into more of a marketing space. And that evolved his work. And then now he's really a major speaker and writer. And you never know exactly what that next thing is going to be. But if you think that you're stuck, then you're already losing because it makes you less open to the possibilities. So I tell people all the time, even if you're not happy with where you are now, you should learn absolutely as much as you can from this experience and keep being open to the next thing. Because that next thing can change your life. But it can also take you further down the path to discovering something that will be a a great experience for you. Now, I don't know that I believe in fate, so to speak, but I do think that the experiences of your life are going to teach you things that are going to build 
um, the knowledge base that you need to do the next things. And there are so many times that I will do something in my work or in my personal life or just out in the world while I'm traveling. And I will think, oh, it's a good thing that I had that prior experience way back when because it really made it easier for me to do this thing right now. And so I just keep that in mind. Um, and then to answer your question about, do I ever want to run away and just go travel? Sure. I mean, if you look at my Instagram feed, I am uh, on the road a lot for both business and for pleasure. And I love to explore new places. And yeah, if I could find um, a lottery ticket that was going to guarantee that I had enough money to do whatever the heck I wanted, yeah, I would probably just travel and run around for a bit. Um, but at some point, I think that I would still want to be in a place where I'm building towards something. I like the camaraderie of the work and I like the um, supporting of other people. I think I would want to do that in some capacity, whether that's, you know, building a company or building a nonprofit or building, you know, a school or something like I would love to just continue to work with people my whole life. I really do appreciate your, uh, your honesty there because I feel like a lot of people would say, absolutely not. I'm doing exactly what I'm going to be doing for the next 80 years. <laughs> Hopefully modern medicine, we all live that Sure. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that uh, to your point about being vulnerable and also, again, knowing what I know now, it is realizing that I don't have all the answers and I don't know what the next 80 years are going to hold. So you just never know when things are going to change or you're going to discover something else that you want to do. Or again, an opportunity will present itself to you and you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize I would do this, but this is the right thing for me. And that's great. Let's talk a little bit about connection because I'm fascinated by it and I think it's awesome. And I'm really, really interested in learning what your philosophy is on developing deep, meaningful, and genuine connections with another person. Mm. I think that it really comes back to the idea that I was talking about earlier, which is, one, to really listen to other people, to ask them questions, to get to know them, and two, to really understand those underlying motivations, right? I think that one of the reasons that I have good relationships with our clients, with our partners, with people that we meet, you know, for business, and then also in my personal life is because I'm very genuinely interested in understanding them. I think asking the kinds of probing questions that you are asking now is really important. I did a workshop recently for um, one of my um long-term clients for their entire team. So about 50 people specifically around communication skills in the workplace. And one of the things that we did was sort of a fun icebreaker where we were asking, um, we had a bunch of questions around the room and you could go around and write your responses underneath them. So what's your spirit animal? What's the craziest talent that you have? You know, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten and things like that. And of course it was fun and we had a good laugh about it. One of the things that I talked about with them at the end of that exercise was how you can see how it is so easy to connect with people just from a few simple questions and they can be outlandish and they can make you laugh and they can be crazy, but it really reminds you of other people's humanity. And it, especially in the workforce, um, it can be really easy to get into a place where we're either adversarial about people or sort of indifferent towards them, or we just kind of treat them like they're just there because there are, you know, our receptionist or they're the janitor or whatever. And we don't really think about them as people. And so what I wanted to encourage people in that workshop to do was 
to stop and say, hey, is there a fun question that I could ask in a situation like that where I'm feeling blocked about making a connection with someone else? And again, it, it might feel weird, but I bet you the other person is going to have a fun answer that's going to, again, remind you of their humanity and make it easier for you to think about them as an individual. And I think that's important. So to me, not that everything is like an icebreaker, but that you can use those sort of same principles in your personal life. I mean, I, (laughs) many years ago, I was uh, using like a dating app. And I remember I went on a date where I asked the person like some just basic kind of questions like this, you know, like what I thought were like fun, like get to know you questions. And the person was like, I don't understand why you're interrogating me. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what a, (laughs) right. What a funny reaction, you know, to think like, I was like, I thought we were just making small talk, (laughs) But, but it reminded me that in this day and age, sometimes people think that curiosity is like disingenuous and that's sad, right? Like if, if we're going to connect with people, we have to be able to talk to them. If we're going to talk to them, we have to be able to ask them questions. And again, sometimes the questions can be funny and off the wall, and maybe that's even more engaging. I think so too, that the, like, the deeper you can go, the more you're going to be able to actually build a connection with somebody. You know, like, even though we've been, we've been chatting for what, 40 minutes now, like, I feel like I know so much more about you because you've been willing to go deep with me and because you've been willing to to be honest and be vulnerable sure. and put up with my with my questions, however ridiculous they may be, you know. Um, so I'm I'm glad you said that and I, and I absolutely agree. And I also do think that some people are are willing to go deeper than others. Um, like you know, I, I really love the question, what's your story? Like, I really, really love that question. And it's changed my life fundamentally um, since I started asking it. Yeah. Um, but you really get a sense of, like, how deep is this person willing to go? How, what, are, what are their barriers like? What, how yeah. many walls are they hiding behind right now when you ask yeah. that question? Because it really shows you. It does. I think that's a really good point. I love that you have a question that you is your go-to question that sparks that kind of conversation with people. I think that's something that maybe all of us should really have in our back pocket of this is how I want to approach other people and get to know them in the world. Um, I think the nice thing about something like what's your story is people can take it as deep or as shallow as they want and you sort of give them the control for that conversation. And I think that's nice. That's a respectful way to have that conversation. I think that's cool. Pro tip for those who are watching slash listening, if you're ever looking to get a mentor, okay, here's how you do it. Yeah. Go to somebody who you admire, who you want to be like, and you ask them that question, what is your story? And then you listen. And then at the end, you ask them this question, will you be my mentor? And then most of the time they're going to say yes, right? Two questions that will get you mentors. I super duper promise you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I like that you're talking about making that connection first when it comes to mentorship too, because that's something that I often advise not only my students, but people that I meet in um, workshops and talks uh, at events about, because I've had young people come up to me and say, without asking that question, just the hey, you seem really cool. I'd love if you'd mentor me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know you. You just, We just met right now. That's very awkward. It would be like going up to you know somebody and saying, oh, you seem great. Should we get engaged? I mean, I don't know you. <laughs> like we've just met. Maybe 
go on a date first, right? So um, I think that the important thing is making the connection first. Look for an opportunity to get to know those people. Show them that they care about um, you just as much as you care about them by having that exchange, by having that dialogue. And I think once you find that common ground, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that if you can build that kind of connection, if you can build that kind of common ground, then people are going to be really willing to have that ongoing relationship. But mentorship, I also tell people, is a two-way street. No one wants to mentor dead weight. You know, like they want to know you too. They want to get to understand what it is that you're about. So don't be afraid to be vulnerable and let them in too. And I think then you can really create that connection. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I was just having a call earlier with one of my mentors and the call before this one, we were talking about about his stuff and what I could do for him. And I was helping him with some some stuff that he was working on. But then this call, I was just letting it, letting it fly and telling him everything that was on my mind. And this gentleman who is incredibly successful for privacy reasons, I'm not going to mention his name, um, incredibly successful, travels around the country giving presentations on a topic he's very passionate about. And he was willing to sit there and listen for like 30, 45 minutes to me talking about something that was important to me. And like that is incredibly powerful incredibly powerful and i love what you said about making sure to provide value and and it is a two-way street um a lot of people that i talk to are like well how can i provide value to these people what's the value by showing interest in them by sharing your story that's valuable because then they they can see the potential in you as a mentee they want to leave a legacy. They yeah. want to help teach people and multiply their efforts, multiply their time. And if and I love what you also said about being vulnerable with them. If you are vulnerable with them and you share actually what's going on, that can create a very powerful relationship that can go way past business. And you'll have a personal friend as well as a mentor for years and years and years to come. For sure. And again, I think that we are all looking for people who can be our own support network. You may not think that you have things to offer in a specific space, like they have more experience as an entrepreneur or as a business person or as an expert in a particular area, but you have your own talents and interests and knowledge base that you can share with them. And I think that that is so important because um, not only do I think mentorship is important, but having a peer network of other people that you can share your challenges with is so important. Um, I mentioned earlier the peer circle that I have. And um, again, that that cross-sharing of experiences and knowledge is so key because we all, there are only so many hours to the day, right? So we all have holes in our knowledge. And if we can rely on other people in our network to support us, I think that's extremely important. I agree. I agree. I want to ask you a few more questions. Sure. Um, and then, then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, what is your greatest theory? My greatest theory about business or just in life? In life. Um. It's an interesting question. Uh, the recent one that I've been thinking about, and I literally had a conversation a little bit earlier about it, so I've, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, is um, uh, about toxic masculinity that it's been in the news a lot, but it's it's something that I've seen in members of my own family, in my friends, et cetera, um, and the, the detriment that it has isn't just about... Um, 
uh, acting out towards other people, right? I think it's also about the isolation that having to be a certain mode of masculine makes men in our society. And so I've been thinking a lot about like, what can we as individuals do in a world where essentially we're saying up to 50% of our community is, is feeling isolated in various ways, right? And I've, I've thought about how I as an individual can be more compassionate, more willing to learn, more willing to reach out to other people and to say, you know, I'm here for you, even if you don't think that you can reach out to me um, to talk about personal issues, to talk about emotional issues, to talk about business challenges, to talk about personal challenges, whatever it is, you know, you can, that, that we as individuals, the thing that we can do in society is to say that we are there for other people. And I think that the world would be more compassionate if we were more willing to lend an ear and again, to the point that we were talking about earlier about being vulnerable, I think that society doesn't give us all permission to be vulnerable. But I think that if we keep putting it out as individuals into the universe, I'm willing to listen. I'm interested in having a conversation. I'm interested in hearing where you are in the world and what's on your mind. Then I think that everybody can benefit. It's not just men, right? It's also women. It's just all people. Because I think we all actually need that kind of connection. We just don't have that opportunity. And again, maybe it comes from my work as a marketer. Maybe it comes from my work studying consumers. But I think really it's something that's resonated with me very strongly in the last couple of years that we as individuals um, have been programmed to to be very me first, to be very um, self-serving in society at large. But we need each other. I think that's a very, very interesting theory. And, and you brought up a lot of great points, uh, a lot of great points. You know, I, I feel on the, on the topic of this toxic masculinity, what, what I immediately think of is a lot of guys, and, and I know a lot, of, a lot of gentlemen like this who uh-huh. they almost feel like they have to show that they're bulletproof or uh-huh. that they don't have emotions. They, exactly. All they feel is like, I am this big, macho, awesome, exactly. tough guy. And you know, a lot of times they are very tough and yeah. through a lot. And they're, those barriers, like we were talking about earlier, yeah. the barriers are very, very, yeah. very, very highly raised. Yeah. Um, and I really wish it wasn't, it wasn't always like that. You know, I, I grew up in a family where, you know, my just to give you an example, my father and I have a great relationship and, and we very openly talk about motion and, and, you know, how we're feeling and think about that, what you, what you may, I love that. And, and it's very yeah. liberating and freeing for me. Yeah. I don't have to keep it inside. I can let that out and it leaves a lot of, more, a lot more space for happiness and fulfillment. I think that you put that exactly right. It's, all pushing all of those emotions inside or keeping them tucked away inside ourselves m- means that there's less room for happiness and less room for fulfillment. And I, I think, again, there's a lot of people who they, they either feel like they have to be emotionless and just hold it in, or as you said, they have the barriers up and they feel like they have to be tough, or they just feel like nobody wants to hear this stuff. And that's not true, right? I, I think um, the, the truth is, again, we as individuals all like to connect with other people, sharing our troubles halves them, right? And I think that 
what I would just love to see is that people have that permission to share with each other more and that we're open to that. Um, I saw a, uh, one of those viral Twitter threads a while ago about how the the sad thing about toxic masculinity is that it makes it so that m- many men feel like they can only connect with either close family or significant others, whereas women can connect with just many different kinds of friends and have that support network. And therefore, again, it's more isolating when you only think you have a couple of people you can connect with rather than a broader community. It puts you at a disadvantage. Um and again, if we're if we're talking about you know just communicating in general, I think uh, vulnerability, especially in our current society that values authenticity, that values connection, is actually high, highly prized. And you should be um, so happy that you are empowered to have those conversations in your own family, and that you have these really powerful conversations with other strangers, really, because this kind of connection is exactly what I'm talking about, that there's just an opportunity to be open and honest with other people. And that's totally okay. You don't always have to have your guard up. Well, the only way that that happens is if the other person is willing to to go there. So I want to thank you for being willing to go there. Um, just have a couple more questions for you. Sure. Uh, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that we did not talk about today? In other words, what did I miss? Wow. Um, I, I feel like we've actually talked about a lot of the things that I think of as really quintessentially me. Um, I think that the most important thing that I would say on top of the things that we've talked about is really this idea of loyalty. I mean, I think that maybe you get that from some of the topics that we've covered today, right, about what I care about. But I think that um, what makes me me is the fact that I believe in loyalty so highly, and I think it is so important to demonstrate where it is that you stand on things, what you care about, and to back that up. Sometimes, you know, when you're younger, it's easier to feel sort of like the wind is going to take you in whatever direction. And maybe you don't know exactly where you stand on issues. But again, as I, I as I get older, I think all the time about how, like, not that I'm intransigent in my positions, but that I, I get what it is that I care about. And I care deeply about those things. That's interesting. That's really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm 24. And... Uh, yeah, that it's very interesting. I have I have to go think about a lot of stuff now. On <laughs> what you just said. I mean, the whole interview you've been dropping some massive, massive uh, jewels of wisdom. That one definitely, uh, that one definitely hit me pretty hard, right in the old <laughs> thinking cap. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, and it's okay to evolve on things over time, but I think that that's that's something that you'll learn over time. And I feel like you know you know more at twenty four than you do at sixteen. By the time you are thirty four, you're going to have a completely different perspective. But like all along the way, you'll find that there are things that you're like, I really care about these things, and I really, I want to double down on caring. That like the caring, that action of of being loyal of, of caring about those things becomes more and more important to how you live your life. Last question for you. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 24. We just talked about that. Um, what question or questions should I be asking you specifically me 
asking specifically you with your knowledge, your wisdom, your experiences that I just wouldn't think to ask? That's, that's a, a powerful question to ask. Um, I would say Hmm. Well, I think, again, because I have a lot of experience specifically in working with graduate students and, again, a lot of people about your age and probably um, with different life experiences than you, but sort of at that point of transition, if I were you, I would ask about what people in that age bracket should keep in mind as they progress in their career over the next 10 years from where you are to where I am. Can you answer that question? Sure. Um, so I think that that period when you are going from your mid twenties into your mid thirties is about a couple of things. One, it's learning as much as you can from all those different job experiences, right? Looking to not only make connections with people, but also to try as many different skills as possible. I think that the mistake that a lot of people make at that particular age is you think to yourself, I want to have fun, so therefore I'm going to do the work that I can, check the box, and then go home at the end of the day and just go have fun with my friends. Listen, I was there. I've done a lot of that too. But I'll tell you that what has been most valuable in my career is that I also asked for as many opportunities as possible. I would get the work done as fast as I could at the highest quality I could and then say, what else do you want me to do? What else can I take on? What else can I try? What else would you trust me to experiment with? And people kept giving me opportunities and responsibilities to do a lot of different areas. I was able to launch a corporate blog from scratch. I was able to launch podcasts from scratch. I was able to launch video series from scratch entire influencer programs from scratch. I was able to take on clients that are so huge and such famous brands because people trusted me to take on more than maybe I thought that I actually had the capability of doing. But if you don't ask for the opportunities to try all of those things, nobody's going to hand you the responsibility. It's not like someone's got a silver plate of opportunities that they're waiting around for you specifically, right? They'll just give it to the next person who asks. So at, at this age and whether you're an entrepreneur or you're somebody who wants to be in-house or you're someone who's trying to find your way, do not be afraid of asking for the opportunity to try things because I promise you, by the time you are 30, all of those cumulative experiences will put you so far ahead of everybody else. But this is the age to do it when you are Quite frankly, this is the phrase that I use to describe myself, so do not be offended. But quite frankly, when you are young and too dumb to know what you don't know, like that's the best time to do it. You're going to find that you will take that confidence that you have innately and run with a lot more things than you might be willing to do later. I think that most people will find that by the time they're in their mid-30s, maybe they're a little bit more conservative about their decision-making. So it's not a bad thing to be young and dumb. That is awesome and i was actually also going to ask for an actionable uh like one actionable thing that people who are listening can do but but i think 
I think what would be really cool would be the actual thing to be to go ask for one new thing. Yeah. I think that's a great action to take. Go seek out that next opportunity. Ask for it. I would love to know for those who actually take that challenge to heart and actually go ask for that one thing, what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would love to hear about it. Um, You can tweet at me or you can find me on Instagram or you can email me. I'd love to hear what happens. That's awesome. So again, Zanti, thank you so much for coming on the show today, uh, being willing to go and and explore those different places that that we did. Uh, It has truly been a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. So thank you very much. You are very welcome. This has been so much fun, Ben. Thanks for asking some phenomenally probing questions. Thank you. Thank you. And to everybody who is watching, listening, I want to thank you all very much. I love you a whole lot, Cs. And I will see you on the next episode. Take care now.